This is the Final Fix Podcast. This is just real people having real conversations surrounding substance abuse and the way addiction impacts communities. We're three brothers who have experienced addiction through a family member. We each have unique perspectives to the same situation, and as we have healed through discussing, we want to share our experience and speak with others who have been affected by substance abuse. Our goal with this podcast is to spread awareness of the harm of substance abuse. To talk to real people about their experience and how they've healed. And to learn more about the role that substance abuse plays in communities and families. We are not experts, just brothers who have had our own experiences around addiction and want to help others by facilitating conversations. Please be aware that some of these conversations may be difficult and triggering. Any episodes that feature adult content will be labeled as explicit and may not be appropriate for children. Well, we are here uh, for the Final Fix podcast. We have a special guest, Jamie, with us today. We're really excited um, to hear your story and get to talk to you a little bit more and um, hear some of the good things you're continuing to do now. Uh, So I guess, yeah, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited to meet you guys. Yep, we're excited to have you. Um, yeah, so I guess the best place to start is from the beginning, um, wherever that that might be, uh, your kind of first interaction with um, substances and uh, kind of how how they impacted your life. Sure. Um, so my addiction really started with childhood trauma. Uh, so I actually, uh, was born in Massachusetts. My family's from Sicily and my father was affiliated with the mob. So I saw a lot of things that a little girl shouldn't have seen. My parents also had me when they were really, really little and, um, they were like 15 years old (laughs) and they had me, you know, so, um, you know, my, my earliest memories are you know, mom and dad screaming, uh, mom screaming, I wish you were never born, um, dad getting drunk, getting arrested for literally having somebody in the, the trunk, um, and just chaos, like constant chaos. Uh, so it was a place where I felt like I was never safe. And we also moved a lot. I went to 12 different schools by the time I graduated got by the time I got to high school I had gone to 12 different schools and so people like me who struggle with addiction already have this weird thing about like not feeling comfortable in our own skin (laughs) like we're just like born just wanting to jump out of our own skin and so not having a safe place or being able to make connections with friends made things really really hard uh, I also had a uh, have a younger sister and brother that are four and five years younger than me that I was having to take care of a lot by myself, you know, being being really, really young. Um, I remember, you know, having to cook dinner and, and getting like a can of corn because my parents like they didn't have like a ton of money, you know, and we had to move a lot and stuff. And I remember getting like a can of corn out of the cabinet and like, OK, we're going to make corn soup for dinner, you know, and it was just like. Um, I wanted to be like such a caretaker for them um, and, and like a protector because there was also a lot of violence um, between my mom and dad. My dad was an alcoholic and I walked in on so many situations where him and my mom were, were fighting. Um, He just, you know, you just never knew what you were going to come home to with him. Like, was I going to come home to this 
loving, caring, fun dad who wanted to like eat celery and cream cheese and watch Freddy Krueger movies? Or, you know, was I going to come home to my dad, you know, holding my mom by her throat, screaming at her. And so that caused like so much anxiety and never really being able to feel safe. So truly my first addiction actually was escape. And I would do things to escape, like read books, like read like whole books in one day. I was, I was a really good reader (laughs) and, um, try to escape that way. Whenever I moved to a new place, I would come up with a new identity. And I was this like new person, like, oh, maybe they'll, they'll like me if I'm this version of Jamie. And, um, you know, I, I got into, you know, Nintendo way back in the day, <laughs> like way back, uh, Sega, Sega Genesis and Nintendo. And I would just lose myself like playing these video games all day long because I did not want to deal with the reality of what was really going on in this environment that I could not control. And so, um, I remember having, uh, my first drink was 11 11 years old and I had a really bad day at school I got bullied and I remember coming home and like thinking well dad drinks when he's stressed so let me try it so I um chugged a glass of vodka and immediately threw up (laughs) was like that was a really bad idea (laughs) and um you know, I was a very like performance based kids. I, I was always trying to like earn my parents love. Right. So I was like really good grades. And, um, oh, if I join this club and if I do this and if I win this award and if I win the spelling bee, then they'll love me, you know? And it seemed like as the more that I tried to like attain my parents love, the, the less, uh, that I got because, you know, they had two other, <laughs> two other small children and my mom, um, worked and went to school. My dad, um, by this time had gotten out of his uh, affiliations. So he was working like two minimum wage security jobs. And during Christmas, he would work three. And so it was just so much responsibility, um, on, on me really at at such a young age, you know, I wasn't allowed to like go hang out with my friends. I had to, even if I had any, I had to come home and take care of my sister or brother. And so, Um, It was, I think, finally in high school, I finally got to stay at the first school. I got to stay at my high school for all four years. And that was in Manchester, New Hampshire, one of my favorite places that I lived. And that was when, you know, I made my first group of friends. And these were people who loved me and accepted me just the way I was. And they laughed with me and we had a great time and they were drug dealers. And I just fit in perfectly with them. Um, And so, you know, I remember the first time that uh, drugs and alcohol became my solution. I was at a party and I was feeling like really nervous and like anxious and I really wanted to fit in. And people were passing around just like some pot and, you know, alcohol, nothing major. Right. And, uh, I remember like doing that and all of a sudden something clicked in my brain and I was funny and I was charming and people liked me and I was self-confident and 
I was like, this is what I've been looking for my whole entire life. And that was the beginning, you know? Um, And then it went to, you know, just some fun stuff, right? It was like watching Austin Powers eating mushrooms, (laughs) tripping and just like laughing so hard. And I'm like, this is the best time of my life ever. (laughs) I did like the whole rave scene. I was the girl with the Jenko jeans and the glow sticks. And I'm like, this is great, you know? And um, if it would have stayed there, you know, sure. That, that would have been okay. But unfortunately, uh, for people like me, <laughs> that's not the case of what happens. And things really escalated. Um, you know, and I had other things mixed in with my addiction too, like food. Uh, I used food like drugs. So I would either starve myself or I would overeat and feel guilty and try to throw it up. Um, relationships. I used relationships just as addictively (laughs) as I used drugs. And that led to codependency, toxic, toxic relationships, um, and getting myself in some really bad situations. So I remember. Well, yeah, I just, it's hard if that's all you know, though, is like, you saw your parents' relationship, like, and so that immediately is a thing that I've I've seen in the um, like substance use uh, community as like the a thing that affects kids or you know childhood trauma like you mentioned, um, just kind of repeating the behavior but looking for like escape and you want so often for things to be different but then fall into the same same patterns. Mm-hmm, absolutely, yeah. having false ideas of what love looks like. Yeah, absolutely, and that that will come at the end of my story. Also, yeah. <laughs> have some good I, stuff for that too. I was, you said something that I've heard quite a bit, and and it wasn't uh, in this, you know, in the addiction realm or anything like that. But I had a friend growing up who basically her. I think it was her dad that wasn't around a lot. And so she did the same thing you said. It was like, um, I'm going to get good grades and I'm going to be the perfect daughter and I'm going to do these things. And she's like, and then I became an adult and I realized all that did for me was make them like, oh, I don't have to worry about her. She's good. She's got it. So, so doing those things, trying to get the attention, almost push them farther away because they didn't have to worry. And in like your situation, it's like, oh, she's doing good. So she can help with the kids or she's doing good. I don't have to worry about her. I'm going to focus on the other kids, but really you were seeking them, but it did the opposite effect. So just interesting how, how that all works. That, that is interesting. That's like a really amazing point. You blew my mind just a little bit with that. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to bring that into my counseling appointment. Like I figured something out. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Alex. Yeah. <laughs> it makes like parenting is terrifying. Like I think yeah. daily I'm in some sort of crisis where I'm like, am I fucking <laughs> my kid up? Like, am I doing so? Like, just like, I don't know. I guess we all turned out okay, but yeah. Self awareness is good though. Yeah. I mean, you know, at least you're thinking about it actively. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm in a similar situation to Jamie because mom had, she was 15. Yeah. yeah. She was 15. She 15 then turned 16 the next month when she had me. So kind of growing up with our parents is like a surreal, you get to know your grandparents a lot more or, or whatever it is, but yeah, she was definitely 
a child having a child. So yes. And that's actually how I've been able to kind of like forgive mm-hmm. my mom, you know, for a lot of the things too, is being able to look at, you know, well, look, look what happened, <laughs> yeah. you know? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So I think things got a little crazy when I started doing meth. And that was, um, I kind of found that in the rave scene. And, um, but, you know, when I first found it, me having, being a person with like disordered eating and like body dysmorphia, I was like, oh, this is great. (laughs) You can do this for like five days and lose 20 pounds. This is amazing. You know, Uh, another solution for me, Um, except that it made me completely batshit crazy. crazy i think that was the understatement like your lead into that was the understatement of the century things got a little crazy when i found math (laughs) (laughs) yeah yes definitely um you know and i explored you know all you know kinds of different things um eventually started smoking crack and um ended up meeting my kid's dad Dominic's father um his name is Pete and so me and well bo- both my kids are, are from the same dad um so 2003 my I get pregnant with Dominic and I'm I'm doing crack right and my parents had to make a very quick geographical change again and they moved to Fort Lauderdale and so I went with them and uh, baby daddy eventually came. He was got, had gotten himself into some trouble uh, selling some drugs to some, what do you, what are they called? Um, like undercover police or whatever. Um, <clears throat> so I'm in Fort, Fort Lauderdale. Well, I don't know anybody out there. And I was working as a manager at a, at a Burger King and I maintained, you know, my pregnancy sober without um using drugs or anything and so we eventually like got uh he he came and moved into my parents house and then we ended up getting our own place about three hours away and I was a stay-at-home mom for like a couple months I mean I was like the good mom like you know, uh, I breastfed, I had a 9.6 ounce baby, like nine pounds, six ounces. <laughs> this is a, a big baby. Okay. And he ate every three hours, like 12, three, six, nine. Um, so I didn't sleep a lot for that first year, you know what I mean? But I, I was like a good mom, you know, and I was like really proud of myself for that. And then I decided after like, you know, I think it was like the 11th month, I was like, I need to get a job. I need to go to work. And I got a job at like these Applebee's and, um, and then, you know, I was working nights, baby daddy's working during the day and, you know, we're just taking turns, you know, with the kid. And, um, I was like, Oh, well, since I'm working at night at Applebee's, I can have a drink. Oh, and there are these customers who have cocaine. (laughs) So it was like, I just, it was like, I just fell right back into it. It was like, I hadn't even taken that time off. I was just all of a sudden, bam. And before you know it, I'm smoking crack again. I'm smoking crack. Baby daddy's smoking crack. The television is raising my son. 
And uh, when Dominic was, mm, I think he was almost two, baby daddy had to go to jail for a little while. And I gave Dominic to my mom and dad. And I was like, I need to maintain the apartment. So, cause he was only doing like four or five months. So, so that way when he gets out, he'll have a place for probation. He can come, whatever. And so I worked at Applebee's like, cause we had gotten ourselves into some debt uh, with our crack smoking habit. <clears throat> and so I worked at Applebee's every day for 30 days straight and still could barely get caught up. And I had a friend who I worked with and she said, Hey, well, I, I work over at um, this strip club called Cleopatra's. Why don't you come work over here? You can make some money and get caught up on your bills. And I'm like, oh, that's a great idea. <laughs> and so started dancing, working in the strip club, which of course led to, you know, prostitution. Um, and, you know, baby daddy gets out of, out of jail and he's, he's like, what is, what is going on? <laughs> what happened? You know, because he didn't know anything. And um, so we we ended up breaking up because I was like, I don't need you. I have all this money. And, you know, and I feel like I have this like self-worth, right? Because like these guys are like paying me because I had, you know, issues, body dysmorphia, self-esteem, right? And I'm like, oh no, like I, I can do this. And I, I just went into this like very like dark, dark world and um, just drugs, drugs, more drugs. Um, and then eventually, uh, he and I ended up, you know, getting back together, moving over where my parents lived and, you know, maintaining, we weren't per se like sober all the way. Right. But like I, I had ended up um, enrolling in a massage therapy school and um, I was uh, still, still escorting. I had a, um, a page on Craigslist actually. And so doing that and he was working and you could say he didn't know about it, but, <laughs> you know, I think maybe he kind of like just turned the other way because, yeah. you know, I was making really good money and I always had whatever he wanted, right? You know, whatever kind of drugs he wanted. And so there were some events that happened, like three, three pretty, um, pretty like powerful things that happened at one time, like detrimental things. Um, I had a miscarriage. I was four months pregnant. And then a couple weeks later, I had um, gotten sexually assaulted in Ybor City by eight men on my birthday. And then after that, just a couple weeks later, my father died suddenly at 42 from his third heart attack. And that to me was the hardest thing I had ever been through in my life at that point. Um, my, my dad, you know, he was, you know, like my superhero kind of, you know what I mean? And uh, for him to go so suddenly and the worst part about it was, um, so it was right around Easter, him and my mom were going to Aruba. They had a timeshare out there. And I, they were having Easter dinner on like a different day. And I had been up for like three days straight and then ended up going to some guy's house to sell myself for some money and ended up taking a Xanax and passed out. 
and totally missed the Easter dinner. And then three days later, I get a phone call that my dad died of a heart attack. And that is like one of my biggest regrets was, you know, being so messed up that I missed that Easter dinner. And I remember um, my family saying like, and your dad just kept asking for you, like, where's Jamie? Where's Jamie? And um, so that was really, really one of my biggest regrets in addiction. And so things kind of spiraled because I got really mad at God at that point and like didn't want anything to do with him. I was raised, um, I was raised Catholic and uh, always like had a understanding of God and had like a relationship somewhat, not like super, but you know what I mean? some type of like acknowledgement. And so at that point I got really mad at God and I got really, really bad on drugs and I ended up getting busted. It was uh, the day before my graduation of massage therapy school, I got busted in a prostitution sting. It was this huge sting that Pope County, Florida had put on. And basically I the guy on the phone, he asked me to come to this hotel. I went to the hotel, went to the room and, you know, he was kind of acting weird. Like normally when you go into the situations, <laughs> guys just get undressed very quickly. <laughs> and this guy just started asking me questions like, what can you buy on Craigslist? And I was like, I don't know. What do you mean? <laughs> and so it was really weird to me. And he had like a, a laptop and I remember there was a, a broken mirror and I was like, well, are you going to, you know, like, what are you doing? I kind of like tugged at his pants, you know, and then he started like asking me more questions, like just weird questions. And I'm like, either this is a cop or this guy's about to kill me, like one or the two. I knew like something was going on. And so I tried to make like a dash for the door. And as I did that, it was a double door hotel room and the door swung open and there were 25 sheriffs and police reporters and the guy from Dateline was there and they made an example out of me on the news for three days straight. They posted my picture and my address, um, my birthday, like everything on Bay News 9. Anybody who lives in Florida that knows anything about Bay News 9, when you turn your television on, if you live in the state of Florida, Bay News 9 comes on automatically. And they played it for three days straight, every five minutes. So everybody saw it. I mean, everybody, everybody, everybody saw it. I mean, like my neighbors are like, it's not that chubby girl that lives next door. You know, <laughs> like everybody saw it. And, um, it was so embarrassing. Uh, my school saw it cause I was supposed to be at my graduation, but I was in jail. And so they kicked me out of massage therapy school on the day before my graduation. Hold up. You and, didn't get like a certificate or nothing. Like <laughs> I broke a rule. There's a, you had to sign a, like a contract saying you wouldn't like make the school look bad in any way <laughs> and I just blew that out of the water apparently <laughs> I mean it's publicity hey uh, right <clears throat> was that your first first time like with any sort of um like criminal charges any um first running with the law I guess 
I had gotten in trouble for like a pot before, but it was like nothing. Like yeah. they basically like let me go, you know. Um, they took me to the police station, but then they made you know let me go or whatever. Um, so yes, that was my first time going to uh, big girl jail. Polk County Jail is not a nice jail to go to. <laughs> it is it is not a place for anybody to go to. So yeah, after um getting getting out of that um you know things just went like on a pretty bad downhill spiral after that and you know my dad had died and I didn't know what to do and I basically like gave my son to my mom like oh you feel bad because daddy died I don't know what to do to make you feel better here have Dominic you know and basically just like put him on her you know like because I couldn't handle anything at that point I was just my life, everything in my life was just like shattered at that point. Um, and she ended up moving to Georgia where her mom lived. And um, me and the kids dad tried to make it work. And we were just so spun out. I mean, it was just wild and crazy. And I was doing these like these uh, I was like prostituting to this like weird group of like dark web guys that were doing these weird weird ass things weird <laughs> like satanic like ritual things like weird stuff with like black hoods it was it was wild um they were pretty scary I thought it was cool at first because they were all like oh goddess don't look at it you're so beautiful and I was like okay <laughs> but then after I, they wouldn't stop calling me and I was like oh my gosh you guys are weird you're weirding me out <laughs> like, leave me the hell alone they're gonna do like a blood ritual I think they were going to sacrifice me eventually when, when I got passed around all of them. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. just to interject here, do you have a book or do you have plans to write a book? Because definitely should. you should. <laughs> you're yeah. You're like the 10th person that said that I'm, I'm actually kind of writing something. I'm writing a curriculum because now I work with churches <laughs> and I work with women who have gone through prostitution and trafficking. So I'm, I'm actually in the middle of writing a curriculum and it has like pieces of my story in it. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I just had to ask. I'm like, there's no way you don't, or you haven't like, you're not working on that. Yeah. I, I need to get down to business on it. Um, yeah. So made uh made another geographical change to Georgia and I was like okay now I'm gonna be a good mom I'm gonna do the right thing got a job at the Applebee's in Georgia and you know mom happened to move right next to a crack dealer's house <laughs> and you know within two three months I'm working at a, a multicultural bar that is like a front for cocaine and I'm dancing on the bar <laughs> and like these dances and I've hooked up with like the the main the the main uncle who has all the cocaine you know and uh you know it was just back to it and then <sighs> doing that and then I you know back on crack ended up dating this crack dealer okay like if you had drugs in your pocket, you were my boyfriend. We were dating, right? So I was like dating this crack dealer and uh, his house got raided. And that was really scary. That was the first time I went to jail for like any like sort of time. So the house got raided, which is the scariest thing I've ever been in in my whole entire life. 
Um, just it it was so loud. I was upstairs and like guns and cops and oh my goodness, it was so crazy. Um, so I ended up going to jail and because I was in his room, they were trying to charge me with everything in his room, which was like seven like big time felonies. And um it was it was terrifying my first time, you know, going to jail, but it was what was really cool was I had these two roommates, bunk mates, whatever you call it. And they were like, so kind to me and they both had addiction history. And it was like, finally, I felt like I found someone that I could connect to because they, they knew what I was going Yeah. Actual connection. Like, Oh wait, you, you have been through this too. Like, it's not just me. And so they also um, gave me a Bible. And so I started reading this Bible and it was so crazy. Like as I was reading it, I felt like God started to like reveal to me, like the, like people in the crack house being like devils, you know what I mean? Like, these are like, these are like demons, like devils. Like you need to stay away from them. They're bad. <laughs> and it was really, it was really wild to me. Um, and then I, I got out in 20 days, Gwinnett County jail, got out in 20 days and uh, all the charges ended up getting dropped because he ended up getting picked up the next day and took all the charges. So I was free, right? But I had learned a little bit of a lesson. So I was trying to be good. So I went, I got a job at IHOP and I'm going to do good now. And I'm going to be a good mom. And, you know, um, but then, you know what I mean? Like I, I meet some girls there and they, they have pain pills and they're like, Oh yeah, here, well, have a burger set. And I'm like, Oh, this is fun. I've never done this before really, you know? Um, not in like my like adult, you know, except yeah. when I was like young, got my wisdom teeth pulled or something, you know? <laughs> so I was like, Oh, okay, this is cool. So doing, you know, doing different drugs, not super heavy, but you know what I mean? Still, still dabbling and um, ended up like, meeting this girl and she her name was uh sugar her name was sugar <laughs> she was this blonde girl and she had an escort service called sexy secrets and so she wanted me to work with her and so i ended up working with her because that was way more money than i hop right and it's like what i knew it's familiar and so she and i did that uh for probably about a year i think and I mean, we had, we had so, did so much business. I mean, it was just, it was wild. We made so much money and it was so easy. She was very well known in that area. She was well known by the police. <laughs> she had a lot of police who were her customers. Um, and I had met uh, some doctors. And so I went one time to, I had a, a car accident right and I was pill seeking right so <laughs> I was like air quoting me they can't see that <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I had a car accident and I had heard that this doctor would write you you know pain pills or whatever so I go in and he starts examining like my back and all of a sudden he starts like touching my breasts and I was like whoa this is weird you know but I was like but damn I might get a good prescription <laughs> you know and um so uh yeah he actually ended up he would just give us prescriptions out the back door like me and sugar would go and we would you know come during lunch when it was closed and we would like have sex with him and he would give us prescriptions for like 60 oxy 80s you know like that's that was big money back then 
Um, and so doing that and, um, you know, I, I was finally, you know, got a car and me and her had an apartment. Right. But, but I, I still wasn't being a mom, you know, mm-hmm. I, I was this, I was the kind of mom where, you know, my son would be like, mommy, will you walk, will you take me to the bus stop tomorrow? And I'll be like, yes, I promise I will be there. I'm going to walk you to the bus stop. I'm going to wait with you. And then I would be gone for a week. You know, I was the kind of mom that, you know, he said like, will you come read me a bedtime story? Yeah, absolutely. Just go downstairs, lay down. I'll be right there. And then I would leave. I was that, that kind of mom. And I was just like stuck in this world of like false priorities. And so eventually, um, me and baby daddy started talking again it's very interesting and uh he decides he's gonna come move to georgia we're gonna do the right thing we get we rented a house right around the block from my mom we get back together um and at this point i'm i'm waitressing at a strip club because i couldn't i wasn't gonna be an escort anymore i was gonna like i was for real gonna do the right thing so i'm just gonna waitress at the strip club <laughs> you know and i'm taking taking percocets to get through my night you know i'm, I'm really liking these percocets now because you know I, I mean i have them right i had all these scripts so i've got you know plenty of them and um within six weeks of him moving we uh, get pregnant with delilah and delilah um i, w- I was so excited because i was finally gonna have a little girl and I was like, yes, this is going to be amazing. We, I have my family back. We're, we're all living in the same place, you know, like we're not, you know, we're not all getting messed up. Like, yeah, we, you know, we're like smoking weed, but we're not, you know, we're drinking a little bit, but we're not doing anything like crazy. Just taking some Percocets, no big deal. Right. Until like one day, like um, I'm pregnant and I didn't have any Percocets and I got sick and I was like, do I have the flu? what is wrong with me? So I'm sweating. I'm uncomfortable. I want to jump out of my skin. I have diarrhea. Like I'm like, what, what is going on? Oh, you're detoxing. (laughs) You need to go get more pain pills. Like, but I'm pregnant, right? Like I can't be taking all these pain pills while I'm pregnant. Right. That's, that's not what you're supposed to do. And, um, ended up, finally coming out to my OBGYN at seven months, I was taking, you know, whatever, Roxy's, Oxy's, Percocets. She had given me a prescription for codeine and and whatever for my, my carpal tunnel or whatever, (laughs) whatever I had said my issue was. Right. And so at seven months I came out clean and I, I was like, listen, um, I've been taking these prescriptions and I'm really concerned for my daughter and like the health of her. And she was like, okay, well, we'll just, you know, she'll probably have to stay in the NICU for like a week and we'll just observe her and, and everything will be fine. And so I remember the day that I had her and, um, they would not let me be in the same room with her unsupervised. They wouldn't let me see her for the first three days. Um, she had to stay in the NICU for six weeks and she was on phenobarbital and morphine um, to come off of, you know, the dependence of the pain pills. And it was 
just like devastating to me because I didn't understand why I could not stop taking them, why I could not stop using, even for this little girl that I wanted so badly. Why could I not stop? And so I ended up going home and tried to eat a bottle of Klonopin and kill myself. And that was uh, unsuccessful. I just slept for a while. And uh, so my mom ended up getting custody of my daughter. And, you know, by this point, baby daddy had gone on heroin and it was, he was, he was way, way out there. He ended up moving back to Massachusetts and um, Delilah came home, but my family was so angry with me and I was so angry with myself. I didn't know what to do. And I ended up leaving and I left. And, um, you know, I remember being so sick. Even at one point, I blamed my daughter. I was like, well, everything was fine until she came along. And then she came and now I have all this, you know, everybody hates me and defects, like just so out there, sick, you know, um, and so I end up leaving and I end up going to this uh, trap house in Auburn, Georgia. And this is a trap house. Um, this two sisters had it. They were both black witches. <laughs> they had spouses. There was just crazy wild stuff that I have never seen before. It was so mind-blowing it was so mind-blowing they did like they they made meth and like I was shooting meth at the time and it was so crazy that I actually quit shooting meth and just like started smoking it because I was like what is going on like the craziest things I saw like women in and out and just like people everybody having sex there was like orgies and then like these people people they were like watching and it's like what in the world but it was terrifying but I didn't leave. I say, you know, I, didn't leave. I say again, you need to write a book. <laughs> um, so this was actually a, a family cult. This is so wild. Yes, they were family. Um, and they're all sleeping. I mean, just sex is so weird. It was so weird. But they, it was so weird because they would act like they didn't know each other. Like they act like, oh, yeah, I'm just meeting you. And then like, then I find out down the road, like they're fucking related. Like, what the hell? Like, this yeah. is wild. These people are wild. This is this is Barrow County, Georgia. <laughs> this is Barrow County, Georgia. So um, I end up getting in uh, one of the guys, right, who was a he's a Freemason. Mm. And this guy, he's got a real vested interest in me. And it was like, they, they basically referred to the girls as like concubines, you know, like they called, they called us like our girls. So essentially I was like trafficked through them, you know what I mean? And like, they just kept, kept me drugged up, kept me drugged up, kept me drugged up. And, um, I, I had gotten out for like a little while. This this was wild. This is the first time that um, I feel like the Lord really kind of like reached out to me. I had a journal and I would write in my journal because there was all this crazy shit happening and I was supposed to write shit down like all the weird stuff I was seeing. 
And one day I opened my journal and it had the word Emmanuel written down. And I'm like, who is Emmanuel? And why is he writing in my journal? And then about a week later, I open it again and underneath it, it says Emmanuel again. And I'm like, I don't know who this Emmanuel is, but we are going to have some issues because I was, I was gangster back then. Right. And so the next week, again, it was written Emmanuel, Emmanuel, his name is Emmanuel. And I'm like, who the hell is Emmanuel? <laughs> and literally, um, a week later, one of the guys tried to kill me. He, uh, I, I was at my house and I had like asked somebody across the street for like a cigarette because he like smoked cigarettes back then. And he was like, got real mad. And he's parked in my driveway in front of my mom's house. I had just come to get clothes or whatever. And I went to walk around the front of the car because I didn't want him to drive because he was angry. And I didn't want him to drive my car while he was angry. And as I walked in front of the car, he stepped on the gas all the way, stepped on the gas and ran the car straight over me into my mom's house. And that he then proceeded to pick me up and throw me in the, in the front seat. And, um, it was so wild because all I, all I really had was a, um, a pulled muscle in my stomach, which is so crazy that I did not have like anything crazy happened. Everybody thought I was dead. Like he took off with me. Everybody in the neighborhood thought I was dead. Um, my mom's calling, calling. And, um, you know, she's like, the cops are here. You need to get here and all, you know? So we go over there. I'm like, you're going to have to bring me back. And so I get to my mom's and the police are like, we're standing in the driveway. There's skid marks in the driveway. Okay. From where he stepped on the gas. Um, ma'am, did he do this to you on purpose? And I'm like, no, he's my boyfriend. Why would he do that? I'm just so delusional, right? Like, no, he didn't do that on purpose. They're like, uh, ma'am, do you see these skid marks right here? <laughs> I, yes, I, I see them. <laughs> like, and, and you're saying he didn't do this on purpose. No, he said he thought it was in reverse. Okay. <laughs> so, but that's, got me to stay home right for a little while so I was home I started to get a little well and then I met this guy um this lady across the street her son was getting out of jail his name is Andrew um and he was just getting out of out of the the drug it's some kind of like drug program they have in the jail and like uh it has to do with like exercise and like whatever so he was like, like all buff right so he's like six feet tall and he's like to me you know he was like gorgeous and like biceps and he, he was funny and he could sing and he could dance and I'm like oh this guy is so cool and so we were talking and we were just like inseparable you know for like you know the first week and I remember he had a bible and he like knew everything like in the bible and one day he just like opened the page up to this verse in Isaiah and it said Emmanuel Emmanuel his name is Emmanuel and I was just mindful like 
God wrote in my journal. <laughs> like this is like who in the witchcraft orgy trafficking <laughs> meth making house you know what I'm saying is gonna do that. Like yeah. this is wild. And so um me and him end up getting together. Um I literally I I was like had like no memory right I was so obviously you can tell by my reactions to things I was very like delusional right so like the these things would happen and these things would happen with men and people would do things to me and the next day I would just like call them right and I would just like hey man what's up what you doing like oh you robbed me for $500 yesterday I don't even remember right like seriously like that literally happened um no memory whatsoever could not get my my life straight you know what I'm saying because I can't think straight well I'm at this this guy's house and he literally one day he just put his hands on me and he started praying over me in this language I had never heard before it was this kind of sounded like gibberishy language which now today I know as speaking in tongues and I literally heard something come out of my ear scream come out of my ear right and I heard this word pistis which I learned after is actually in the Bible. I learned uh, about three years after that, that it was the word that Jesus said when he healed the demoniac and it means to believe, to have faith. And so literally he took demons out of me. <laughs> I have goosebumps <laughs> right now. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and here's the weirdest part is like this guy, um, he had this little globe, this little globe. And he was like, do you see them? There were seven of them. <laughs> I took them out of you. And from that day on, I had a memory and I could think straight. And it was like, oh, like, okay, I need to go home and I need to like be with my kids. Now I was still doing drugs. Right. But I was like, I could make some sort of effort. It was, it, it was like something had changed. My eyes were open. I could see. <laughs> and, um, he ended up going to, we ended up getting married <laughs> and uh, he ended up going to jail after, but he, whenever he did meth, he would make me read the Bible and he would, I'm talking uh, 16 hours a day. Like he's making me read the Bible. Right. But he was taking scripture and he was like twisting it, you know, to try to like control me. You know, at one point he even told me that he was Jesus. And that I needed to pray in his name. You need to pray, pray in the name of Andrew, not in the name of Jesus. I am Jesus. <laughs> like he had these, like when he, he did, he was up for days on meth. He had this very like grandiose, like ideas, yeah. you know? And so he ended up, um, you know, going to prison. And unfortunately when he left, um, I just kind of got sucked back in with those other people and like the, the Freemason and all like the weird shit. So I'm like back, <laughs> back on this. Um, <clears throat> but something did happen out of that is I actually went to the methadone clinic for the first time. So I tried to find some sort of recovery. I go to the methadone clinic and I, I was going for a couple weeks, but every week that I would go in, the counselor would, would pull me in and say like, Jamie, why are you trying to kill yourself? Like, I'm not trying to kill myself. Like, well, you scored a hundred on your drug test again. Like it was a good week. You know, <laughs> like this, that was my feelings about it. And so 
um, just very, I was unsuccessful with it, you know, because I, I didn't have recovery. I was just trying to like not be sick. And that started my in and out cycle of detox. Um, I went in and out of detox eight different times, detox little between, you know, three weeks here, two weeks there. I think I almost finished a 28 day, day program one time. Um, but eight different times of going in and out, in and out, in and out, you know, but what I couldn't understand is I would get out and I would say, okay, now I'm cured. Now I can take pain pills and smoke meth like everybody else, right? Like now I'm cured. And then all of a sudden I'm sick again. And I don't understand why I couldn't understand the fact that if you don't put in, then you won't be sick. Like, cause the, the idea of not putting in, I couldn't fathom. I couldn't understand that. And so <clears throat> I just, just continued with that, you know, and, and continued with the, like the crazy people and all this stuff. And eventually I ended up uh, getting arrested. Um, it was very interesting. I got arrested on some weird charge that like didn't even make sense that was from six years before that maybe shouldn't have been there but was there anyway about it went back to Gwinnett County Jail <laughs> for 20 days <laughs> and I remember I had this girl in my uh she was my bunk mate or whatever and I had had a dream about her like before I met her and I in my dream I saw this girl and she had this like broken arm and I was trying to call for help and this girl walks in and she literally has like a broken arm walked in does not even know how she had uh, diabetes real bad and she she smoked crack and she had no idea how she got in jail like nothing it was she didn't know how she broke her arm <laughs> it was so wild and so <clears throat> it, it was like so supernatural and I remember her saying to me well, you know, Jamie, sometimes you have to go back through to get two. And I was like, that's interesting. It was crazy because I remember even like one of the same girls that was there the first time was there. And she, it was the same freaking conversation. It was like, uh, I don't know if, if you're familiar with Bible. It was like the story of Jonah where God like spit you back out. Here, try it again. <laughs> You know, like um, the girl, she's sitting at this round table and she's like, oh, I know you, you're Cookie's friend. And I looked at her and I said, this is what she said to me the last time we were here. <laughs> like, do you not remember this? It was so wild, just supernatural. Um, and so I ended up uh, getting out of jail. I had to go in front of this judge and this judge said to me, Cause when I, when I, um, the charges were for a uh, schedule one, two, three, four, and five, which is just basically like a little bit of everything. It was just a little bitty bag of, you know, not a lot, just a little bit regular, regular stuff for me. Yeah. And the judge said, okay, so we're going to put you on a four year felony probation. And what that means is that for the next four years, you cannot get in trouble or uh, fail a drug test, or you're going to go to prison. And something in my brain just like clicked, like it was like a light bulb went off. And I said, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to not fill a drug test. I don't know how to not get in trouble. I don't know how to do that. And 
when I got out, I knew that I had to do something different, but I didn't know what it was. And I knew I didn't want to go back to the same people and the same places. And what was the wildest thing is that when I got out of jail, the the man that I told you that had the vested interest in me, the Freemason, which is where I would have went back to, had died while I was in jail out of nowhere. I <laughs> uh, just randomly died. And so therefore I literally had no place to go because my mom sure wasn't having, having me, you know, come back to her house um, after all the things that I did and abandoning my children and stealing from her and all these things. And so this girl called me, she was just getting out of prison. We used to sell dope together. And she said, Hey, Jamie, I'm going to this. So we're living in Athens. I think you should come. And it was just like, all I could say was yes. It was like my surrendering moment. And I remember it was um, July 20th, 2015 is my recovery dates. It was eight days before my birthday, my, my belly button birthday. And I thought, oh, here we go. Lame birthdays from here on out. <laughs> this is going to suck forever, you know, um, and that has not been the case at all. Going into a sober living, it was actually, um, we are UGA campus. So I literally moved into this house with 13 other girls. And I'm like, this is so weird. It's like a sober sorority, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but it was really cool because it was women who were trying to do the same thing that I really wanted to do, trying to get their life together trying to be a good parent, trying to, you know, not go back to jail. And so I had to learn a lot of things, like relearn, like how to live. You know, I remember getting there. Um, they were like, yeah, you have to go out and you have to job search. Oh, and sis, you can't wear that. <laughs> that's, that's not what you wear to job search, right? So it's like they had to like teach me. Yeah, and you have to take a shower and you have to brush your hair and you have to make your bed and just all of these things, right? Um, just relearning how to actually live. They told me to get a sponsor and to go to meetings. And I did. So I went to meetings and I got a sponsor and this girl was like, call me every day for 30 days. And I was like, this is weird. What do you want me to talk to you about? You know, it was, it was so, it was so interesting to me. Um, but I knew I didn't want to go back to where I was. So I just followed suggestions. You know, they told me to like get involved at 89 days sober. I started telling my story. I told my story actually at one of the detoxes that I had been to twice and the crisis unit here in Athens and just being able to, to tell these people, Hey, I have 89 days sober and I was sitting where you were and I couldn't have shoelaces either, you know, and they just, their eyes, you know, like opening up, like, wow, that's, that's amazing. And so I, I started to feel like, Hey, maybe there was some like purpose, right? Maybe there's some like purpose in this pain that, that I've been through. And so got really involved, um, had like all like the, you know, position, uh, had a home group, sponsored women. I actually ended up staying at that sober living for three and a half years uh, because yeah. you got to, 
yeah, you got to like level up. So like when you were first in there with the 13 girls, then you got to go into a house with like four girls. And eventually at 18 months, I got my own apartment. Now it was tiny and it looked like a jail cell, but it was mine and it was safe, you know? And so really cool. Um, started working steps and, um, you know, just, just really laying down everything from my old life. Now I still brought some stuff with me. I'm not going to lie. Okay. Uh, my first couple months there, I was still had like a boyfriend here and a boyfriend there who was help trying to help me pay my rent. You know what I'm saying? So I was still basically prostituting myself, same thing. Right. And so I remember working these steps and I remember I had this roommate named Tina and she had this most amazing faith and she was really into her Bible. She was, she was a couple years older than me. And she said, you know, she heard me on the phone one day talking to this guy because I needed like a ride to work, right? So I'm going to trade my ass for a ride to work, right? Because that's, that's how I do, right? And um, she said, hey, hey, sis, um, you don't, you don't got to do that. I'll give you a ride. And I was like, for real? She's like, yeah, don't, don't do that. I'll give you a ride. And I'm like, all right, cool. So um, she ended up taking me to church with her. And this was about, um, see, this was in December of 2015. So, uh, right about, you know, six ish, almost six months in, and I ended up getting baptized and it was the same time that I was doing my third step, which is, um, you know, to give up your, your will in your life, your thoughts and your actions to, to the care of God. And in that moment, I fully surrendered everything to God. I got baptized and it was like, I came out looking like a three shades brighter. I mean, and it was these people, like I had never been to a church like this. I told you I was raised Catholic. She took me to an apostolic church <laughs> where <laughs> these people prayed the house down over me. I mean, they laid hands on me and I'm telling you, their eyes turned bright blue. It was, it was crazy. And they were praying and they said, you're not going back to those old places. God's got a new plan for you. You don't talk to those old friends anymore. You're going to have new friends. You're going to have new things. You stay away from there. You keep looking forward. And I was just like, wow. Okay, cool. And it was like the heavens opened up for me that day. About a week later, I filled out an application for a job at Massage Envy. And I was just for like a front desk salesperson. I'm like, well, if I can't be a massage therapist, you know, like at least I can, you know, maybe uh, work at the front desk or sales. And the general manager, she sees my application. She says, oh, you went to massage therapy school? And I was like, yeah, but, you know, like I don't think I don't think I'm going to be able to like be a massage therapist here. And um. I ended up telling her what happened. She says, well, um, I'm on the Georgia board of massage and I can help you get your license. And I was like, are you freaking kidding me right now? Like really? And so yeah, she, uh, ended up helping me get my massage therapy license. Um, I did an internship for medical massage for four years with her. Um, so ended up finally, they, they denied me twice. Now they denied me twice. <laughs> I had to go. I had to like call my school. They even, they gave me my certificate. I made amends to all the teachers. Yeah. I was like, I'm so sorry. This is what I did. Like, <laughs> and they were like, we're so proud of you. <laughs> you know, so it was like really sweet to be like redeemed in that, yeah. you know? And they gave me, wrote, they wrote me letters of recommendation. She was the best massage therapist in our school. <laughs> That's <laughs> you know, awesome. It was, it was so cool. And um, yeah, and I took this period of time. Uh, I took this 
this 18 month period of time when I was living at the sober living that I was going to pour into Jamie because I had finally found this girl who was worth pouring into. I was like, yes. So I'm talking like, I didn't date. I didn't go, I didn't go out. Like all, you know, everybody else is out going to the movies, to all these events. Nope. I am, I am creating my massage therapy business. I am working, you know, and I was in a discipleship, a four-year discipleship under a deliverance minister, um, who was the first man to ever show me what it truly means to be loved like a daughter. And, um, it was just, it was such an amazing time in my life. God showed me so many things in that time. And there was so much healing that took place along with my step work. It was like step work and like God. And it was just incredible. I mean, I remember one time, like asking God, like, God, you want me to trust you, but I don't even know how you feel about me. And the next day I went to my mom's house and I'm sitting across from my daughter. She's probably like six years old. She is scribbling on this, you know, piece of paper and her hair's a mess. She's got food all over her face. And I'm just looking at her in this like awe and like adoration. Like this is the most beautiful creature I've ever seen in my life. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, that's how I feel about you. And I was just mind blown. Like it was like, oh my goodness, like this this is real. And so it was just, just incredible. It's incredible, like growing period and peace and healing and forgiveness and, um, having real friends, you know, like connections with like real women, like accountability people. Right. Cause I'm like, girl, I'm real tempted over here. No, we're, we're going to pray it. We're going to pray it out. We're going to pray it out. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And, uh, and I didn't do it perfectly. You know what I mean? But I, but I, I, I was impressed with myself. It was my first time in my life doing doing things the right way, right? Yeah. And so um, in this 18 months, I started my own business, Miracle Massage Group. I became a recovery coach with um, Georgia Council on Substance Abuse. And I moved into my own townhouse, um, got a car that I paid off, you know, like paying taxes, paid off my debt, getting my credit score right. Like I'm doing all these things. Um, I actually created a protocol for massage in recovery. So I created this protocol, um, two things that I'm so passionate about, recovery and massage. So let's put them together. So I created this um, protocol for massage therapy massage therapy for people um, who have had trauma and addiction, people who are stabilizing off of mat meds and implemented it in um, nonprofit organizations. One of the organizations is called Divas Who Win Freedom Center, which works with women who are coming out of prostitution and human trafficking. And so I worked there as a recovery coach and I got to work with so many women and just so much like healing. It was, it was so beautiful. And then I got to, after that, there was like so many women. I'm like, I can't give all these massages. What are we going to do? So we went to the local massage school, got the students to come to do their clinic hours there. So now we have, you know, massage therapy for free for people who are struggling and, and, and the students get their clinic hours. So it's, it's win-win. Um, so implementing that in the state of Georgia, it, it was just amazing. Um, also started my YouTube channel. Well, I was just going to, I mean, the connection between um, like childhood trauma and like storing 
stuff in the body is is huge. I can't imagine how much that's compounded when you have any sort of sexual trauma on top of that. And the, um, I mean, the relief that these people must have been feeling by like getting that connection with their body, feeling like genuinely how things are supposed to feel without anything else attached to it or any abuse or any, you know, yeah, it just, that's, that's incredible. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Healthy touch and, and, and telling them like, you're worthy of this, like you're worthy of this self-care. And so it it was a a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, now I get to go around and train massage therapists, like how to do it. And um, I'm writing a continuing education on it also. um, So I can teach massage therapists like everywhere how to do it. And um, so that's really awesome. And then in 2020, COVID happened, right? Um, man, that was rough. And, you know, I felt, I felt like I really lost my identity, like in that time, right? Cause it was like, I was like, Jamie, the recovery coach of divas. And now I'm not. And I was like, okay, well, wait, I'm Jamie, the massage therapist. No, nope, I'm not that right now either. Like, <laughs> who am I? <laughs> I was like, so struggling with this identity crisis. And, um, so I started speaking on like Facebook live and like making videos. Cause I knew if I was struggling and I felt like I had a pretty like firm foundation in my faith that my friends were struggling too. And, you know, us not being able to be together, not being able to be connected. So I started speaking out and I created this show called recovery inspired hope on YouTube. And, um, just like the, unbelievable amount of messages that I got from people talking about I was going to relapse and I saw your video in Michigan (laughs) you know or I'm in the UK and I saw your video it was so encouraging thank you so much and I was just like mind blown like first of all these people are listening to me (laughs) you know like second of all like what an honor and an impact to be used by God to to help people you know and so um started started kind of like doing that like full-time became like a you know um content creator and um my massage therapy business won uh have has won three awards in the last three years best of the best um I've won an award from Georgia Council and from um, UE Entertainment for my community involvement. Um, so really, really awesome. Like being recognized for all these things, because, um, when you become a content creator, you do things for free for a really long time, (laughs) for a really long time, like three and a half years, I made videos for free (laughs) until I finally started getting paid. Um, but I would spotlight all these different nonprofits and stuff like that. And, uh, it it was, it was really cool. I I was doing like service work, you know what I mean? And and I, I was good at it. I learned how to edit and I learned how to do all these things. Um, and at that point, um, I actually ended up meeting, um, my, uh, husband at the time and his name was Adam and he was a content creator. And so we met like over Facebook and it was like, he was like my mirror image. Like, oh my goodness, you're just like me. Like he speaks out about recovery, all this, you know what I mean? Um, and we, we met July 11th. He proposed to me November 11th. He was living in Florida. I was in Georgia. He ended up moving, uh, Thanksgiving and, um, <clears throat> and we got married, um, October of, um, 10, 10, 21. 
And that was probably that period. Um, we actually just got divorced. <clears throat> um, that period of time was the, one of the hardest times of my entire life. So, um, having grown up in a family that had domestic violence and that had, um, you know, unhealthy relationships, but, but growing up in that, you think that that's normal, you know? So, um, <clears throat> the first time that he had, uh, gotten violent with me was on the 19th day of our 20 day honeymoon. And we had a 20 day honeymoon and on day 19, he had gotten violent for me. And I was like, what happens? Like, what is, and this is in my recovery, right? I mean, I work with traumatized women all the time, right? Like, I should know these things. I should see these things, you know, but it was like, um, I didn't know how to, I didn't, I didn't want to tell everybody who was just at our wedding 19 days ago <laughs> that there was some, something crazy has happened. You know, I don't know who this man is. They just took over my husband, but this is, you know, um, and so it was a very long road of me trying to be the sanctified wife and pray these things out of him, you know, and if, well, if I just keep praying and if I, if I go to more therapy and maybe I need mental health meds, like what can I do to fix this issue that he says is because of me? You know, well, I wouldn't have done that if you didn't say that. Well, it's because you acted like this, that I did that, you know? And, and then even overlooking like the abuse, you know, like you abuse me. And then I'm like, screw you, motherfucker. <laughs> you know, like telling him off, right? He's like, how could you say that to me? <laughs> you know, like, because you just did that. No, you said that to me, <laughs> you know, and it's always, it was always the, you know, what I did after, which, you know, they, and they even say like I I was doing um, things like reactive abuse, you know. Yeah. So it was a it was a narcissistic gaslighting relationship. Um, you know, he wanted to be like the center of everything. My channel got monetized and his didn't, and uh, there became a you know a break in the relationship. And so um, eventually. Um, after some really, really bad things, my birthday, actually, um, I remember my birthday just this last year, my 43rd birthday in July, I was, we were up North at, in Massachusetts at my godfather's house. And I remember blowing out my candles and saying, God, I, I wish that my husband wouldn't abuse me anymore. And that was my birthday wish. And the next day we left to come back home and this man like flipped out on me at the airport like so badly to a point that people were coming up to me like you need to get away from him can we please give you a ride saying you know terrible things to me um you know you got raped because you deserved it you enjoyed it because you're a whore you know all these I mean he was just the things that he would say to me were like so terrible and just this last time, I was just like, you know what? I love you, but I love Jamie. Yeah. <laughs> and it was so hard. I, I ended up calling this other couple from our church. And, you know, they asked us to come to the church. 
and they wanted us to take a, a separation. They're like, look, you, you go stay here at this hotel for a couple of days, Jamie, you go home, take three days. And then you guys can try to, you know, work it out right now. You guys can't be around each other. And, um, the next day I, the next morning I got up and I went to the gym, like I normally do. And I came home and, uh, he had moved out. <laughs> he had, he had taken his stuff and moved out and moved back to Florida. Um, and, and he left me like some note or whatever. And, uh, and then I got a call from the leasing agent who, um, is a friend of mine. She said, I don't know what's going on, Jamie, but Adam just called and he told me to take his name off the lease because he moved to Florida. And I was like, what? <laughs> He moved to Florida? <laughs> That's crazy. Um, okay. And normally what would happen, you know, in this in the cycle of abuse and trauma bonding is he would he would abuse me, he would leave, and I would be like, please come back, please come back, texting, calling. No, no, we have to work things out. But this time I was like, bet, take his name off the lease, you know? And um <clears throat> yeah, and I, you know, I did try to like talk to him a couple of times, but he still, you know, he went to do counseling sessions and then decided, you know, that they were just talking to him in circles and he wasn't going to do it. So I was like, well, I don't know what to say. And so I, I, uh, I filed divorce papers and, um, it was like really hard, um, at first, especially like trauma bonding for women. Like I'm sure for men too, this is like, it's like detoxing off of drugs, basically like you, have to have like the no contact just like you can't you have to have like the abstinence and um finally um you know it has been uh a couple months and I have happiness and I have joy and you know and it was what well, the wildest thing is like all my friends were like we knew something was going on we never liked him like why did you not say something to yeah. me <laughs> like I hate that. I hate that. It's like, oh yeah, I, I saw. I thought that. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. Like, why didn't you say something? Like, you just were always sad, and you didn't talk to anybody all the time. We didn't know what to say. Like, check on your girl. You know, what I'm saying like, show up. Like, what do you mean? Um. So that was <clears throat> that was really hard. But but also, I mean, there was not one person that said no, you should make it work. Like even in the church, like they were like, nah, girl, this is a safety issue. <laughs> you need to, uh, you need to go. And so it's been pretty amazing. Um, honestly, like being able to like be like, you know, just do what I want to do. Right. Like I get to do what I want to do and I get to have fun. I don't have to feel anxiety. I don't have to like, you know, whatever. Like I, I just get to be myself. I don't get, have to be put down. Um, and it's just, I get to go out with my my friends and have fun. I just got to go on the best vacation ever with um my friend Brandy. Um, she took me to Key West for her fortieth birthday with like eight other people, and I have never lived life <laughs> until I went on that vacation. It was so fun. I just just so much laughter, you know yeah. what I mean. And then like if I if I got sad or whatever, or like wanted to like call over something, they would be like, Ah, screw him! Look at the sunset. It's amazing. <laughs> Yeah. You know, it was just, it was, it was so, it's been so healing and just so wonderful and amazing things have opened up since then. Um, I actually got contacted by a really big church in Athens and they contacted me. I had never even been to this church and they were like, yeah, um, can you come in to meet with us? We want to collaborate with you. Like you want to collaborate with me? <laughs> what? <laughs> and so I ended up going to the church and 
And they're like, yeah, we see you're doing all these great things in the community. A lot of people know you. We want to put you on some speaking events. You're going to get paid for them. Um, what else can we do to help you? How else can we help you with what you're doing with these women in prostitution and human trafficking and recovery? And I'm just mind blown. Like what? And I was like, well, actually what you can do is um, I have this, um, I have this curriculum that I wrote like two years ago to help, help women uh, recovery, human trafficking, prostitution, really my, like what I did to heal. And I was like, and they're like, yeah, we're going to, we'll help you. You can, you know, you can teach it here and then we can help you get it in a book and then you can take it to other churches and you can teach it there and you can do whatever you want with it. And we'll just, we'll just, you know, give you a platform to do whatever you want. And they have like this really big church and I'm just like mind blown, like what? And I was like, well, can you help me with my YouTube channel? <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you just pull out a list. You're like, yeah. <laughs> what else can you do for me they're like yeah because they have a huge celebrate recovery program with like 80 people like on monday nights 80 people in the celebrate recovery that's that's pretty big but yeah we'll get we'll have our people come and and do interviews with you yeah it'll be great and we'll and then we'll you know promote them in the church yeah. <laughs> i'm like fantastic so the, um it's incredible the like shift that you just the mindset shift of like there's this pattern of um, you're taking care of your siblings, but nobody's taking care of you. And now to the point where still nobody's, nobody's physically taking care of you, but you've built into yourself. Like you don't need that. Like you're taking care of you. You're, you know, you're putting yourself first. You're getting that self-care. Mm-hmm. Um, that's awesome. That's a, that's a huge shift. And then I want to touch on like this idea of surrendering. Cause even, even with, your divorce like there there's an aspect of it that like you had this encouragement to just like file you're done you're surrendering that that's done that's ran the cycle that it's needed to run um and good things have come and each time that you've surrendered like huge things have come after that so like i know like I, I've mentioned before, I'm not, I used to be involved in the church. I'm not anymore, but my favorite verse was always second Corinthians 12, 10. Like that's why for Christ's sakes, I delight in, in weakness and hardship. I'm probably messing it up, but for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Like that was something that always stuck out with me. Like you have to hit that lowest point and just surrender and like, let it go because you can't be full of God if you're full of yourself. Like you have to just let go and let uh, like whatever, you believe lift you up and like surround yourself with that so it, i mean it's just it's awesome yeah that's a, that's cool i didn't notice that till you just said that <laughs> and all passes are for you guys tonight <laughs> well we're learning from you this is this is awesome it kind yeah, of goes- I was, go ahead oh uh, i was just gonna say like my whatever what alex had told me um we were just talking about in my i'm in a domestic violence support group and we were just talking about that and then he gave me the answer when he said that i was like what (laughs) (laughs) it kind of goes back to the idea of uh your first addiction was escape because when you get out of that um when you're going through hard times and stuff and when you can not go back to just escaping what's happening and actually accept and heal through and go through the process of healing it's like such a big thing. And I feel like it's um, spreading that knowledge to people, like knowing that you can't just escape because when you escape, you do things that are, you know, the best for you because you're trying to cope. Um, but what you're doing is amazing with, you know, the education, 
and the church and stuff and having people go through their faith it's uh it's truly amazing like I feel like you were put here on your story and what you went through um it was meant to happen I mean as terrible as it may have been uh you're doing stuff and helping so many people that it's like there's a payoff you know oh yes I definitely I definitely feel like there's there's definitely going to be a payoff. <laughs> There's definitely got to be a payoff. I mean, <laughs> just being, well, just being faithful, you know what I mean? Like continuing to like be faithful and like keep going, you know what I mean? Even if I didn't do it perfect every day, like, and then all these things are opening up and like, it says, um, you know, you're saved by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. You know, we're supposed to pull people out of the fire, you know, Jesus came to heal the broken, the bind up the brokenhearted, you know what I mean? And, and I feel like I get to do that through my story and through the things I've been through and like just teaching other women, like, Hey, like, this is how you get through this. Like I can, I can teach you how to get through uh, the breaking of a trauma bond. It sucks and it hurts, but I can tell you the steps of how to do it. And, and you can't, the things that like I can teach couldn't have happened without lived experience. If I didn't go through it, nobody can write a book on this is how you break a trauma bond or this is how you, you know what I mean? Overcome prostitution and, you know, learn to love yourself and, not give yourself away for you know <clears throat> to people who don't deserve it you know so exactly. no, I, I think that what you just said about not going through it like none of us have dealt with uh addiction personally but dealing with it with our mom um it is actually like educational and eye-opening to us to hear the side of addicts because we lived it on the family member side and you know, we can relate to people that have gone through it because of their parents, siblings, uncles, cousins, whatever, uh, or spouses. But I mean, it's been wildly educational from everybody we've talked to, including yourself for us, because we haven't personally done that. So we, you know, when we first, um, started, I almost had that, I don't, Jordan used the word and I can't remember, but the, um, imposter syndrome kind of I felt like how am I going to talk to these people that have gone through addiction when I haven't gone through it and then I was I I was like well I'm going to use it as an educational experience because we saw our mom go through it so this is maybe it'll help us understand her right um and, and it's just yeah it's just thankful being able to talk to to you and to everybody because it's just uh it's very eye-opening and it's just uh I can't imagine you know is yeah me hope <laughs> yeah, yeah yes I really that's I was like really like okay like I'm I'm gonna be like raw dog honest with you guys about like the <laughs> yeah. mom aspect yeah about, you know what I mean like the the things that I felt and how like messed up I was in the head you know what I'm saying mm -hmm. but like but that it really did like grieve my heart and I really did want to be a good mom you know what I mean I don't think I don't think any mom's like oh I don't want to be a good mom screw that like no nobody that gives birth to a child no mother like you know what I mean? Like we always want to do right. Right. Having think, the tools and the people around us to help that. Yeah. Like that's the hardest part as the, uh, as the kid, <laughs> because I, it's her birthday today. And it's like, uh, you know, a lot of other kids go see their mom, but I, I texted her and she hasn't replied. And I know that, deep down even though she might not be in the right thinking right now like she's still uh she wants to get back to us in the relationship that we had it's just uh 
hearing that from you is just like I I have hope that 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 is true and I know that it's true but it's hard to not uh, be on the other side of it you know like to uh, have that uh, go through that journey of healing because uh, we're kind of kind of still going through it mm-hmm. never ends. absolutely yeah That's I mean true. if, if you true. wanted if you wanted me to like text her like anytime or call her anytime I would be happy to also reach out uh, to her I'm down <laughs> Dominic's like yes her number is <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean that would be uh that would be cool she's told me a lot of stories about um domestic violence with not necessarily her but with a lot of people that she's known when it comes to being an active addiction uh there's a lot of in her words there's a lot of uh, anger suddenly when you're in active addiction and so a lot of her friends um have gone through it and so i think that would be really um i think that'd be fucking great for her honestly but i mean well, and she thrived in, so when she first, when she first got clean, she went into a sober living house and she did that where she had a, a bedroom with a roommate and then she, she was helping everyone and she was, you know, the house mom, if you will, and, and making sure everyone else was taken care of. And she was the admin person or whatever she did for them. And then she got promoted and she went to the back of the building where they had like turned these garages into these four individual apartments. And like you said, they were tiny, um, but it was her own space. And that was the first time that I felt like, okay, I can, cause I have two boys and I was like, okay, I can bring my boys to see you. And that was the first time that she got to see my boys was there, not ever, but since, you know, and, uh, and that was like, she did really well in that. And then she got to a point where she's like, okay, um, she hit the, which I think, I don't know, it's called the lottery or whatever to get housing, free housing through the state for, uh, and so she got her own apartment. And I feel like that was the worst, decision. that was the worst thing that could have happened to her because she was yeah. thriving in that environment where those other girls depended <laughs> on her and needed her. And then the minute that she was away from that, it just, that's where I feel like she went backwards. Yeah. yeah. She had kind of lost total community at that point though, too. Like the, she was, she was seeing a guy for better, for worse, whatever that was he they were involved in the church together and Mm -hmm. so she was at the church every day um, and with these girls um and it it was kind of like the only way that she could see him i think was going to the church with him and like doing these things together um for part of it and and so like all at once like he went back to jail and so he was gone she stopped going to church and she's not with these girls anymore who are like you know in community together um, yeah mm-hmm. no that's I, where we're yeah. at that's where we've been at for the last four years yeah, yeah the community is huge um i actually um where i i live like when i moved out of my apartment in the sober living um i actually moved like six driveways down into the townhouses where the staff lived and that's where i still live <laughs> i still live here <laughs> like i still live here um except like this it's not the same staff you know they change it to like a men's I was president of the board of directors for the sober living for a year. Um, they changed it to a men's facility and, but everybody who lives here is part, you know, of that community. So I, I was like, I'm not, I'm not leaving, you know, like, I mean, I like that way I have like accountability, you know what I mean? Like 
even though they didn't even come check on me, I hope my own neighbors, <laughs> like people I've known for like eight years. Yeah, we knew you were just in your marriage. We just left you there. But <laughs> sorry, we we just looked at you out the window. <laughs> no, but they we're 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 good now. But um, yeah, so that part, like they they teach us in Georgia Council um for recovery that the opposite of addiction is connection, and I will tell you that um in times of isolation. I have been the most vulnerable to losing my recovery. Yeah. No, yeah. I think that is a big, um, well, we don't necessarily know, but I think that is a big part of it. I, uh, I was around a lot in, well, that's actually the setting of the end of my story. The hopeful ending was in that uh, sober living house when she finally got her own apartment she was moving into that apartment when I um the ending of that story but when she moved out and got her um own separate apartment outside of the sober living it was so good and then I feel like it was so bad like instantly like I feel like she uh one of her friends had uh had passed away she OD'd on uh fentanyl I think it was and she kind of she was sad and she didn't want to go to church and she didn't want them to see her like that and then uh she didn't go to church for a couple more weeks and then um and then it kind of just spiraled out of there and I just feel like that community was gone and she had no one to lay her head on if she was feeling down and if she was feeling vulnerable because there's only so much I can do I was like what 16 or something at that time like I can be there for her all I want, but I, I have no experience with that. I, I cannot, I cannot give her any answers, <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, that was just a, a rough time to see, especially when you're getting older. I can imagine for you guys, like, fuck, that's it. <laughs> well, I think it goes back to like the thought uh, I've been, I'll say I've been like angry a lot but it's like i i have to remind myself like what you said and when the, you know the judge kind of gave you that ultimatum um you just didn't know how to do that and i have to remind myself that like the amount of times that, that she had on the street like the childhood that she had like all the all the stuff that compounds to create the who she who she was on the street during those moments like she just doesn't know anymore how to how to change that how to fix it how to be who we want or need her to be for us because she doesn't know how to do that for herself mm -hmm. well I, I hope this is i think this like i can like feel like this is a good thing like it's her birthday today and we're talking to someone who has like experience as a mother going through addiction at the same time you know like i feel like i don't know i have a good feeling um <laughs> that's uh that's really nice <laughs> mm, i mean i wouldn't we always tell people to expect recovery. You know what I'm saying? Expect recovery. And, um, you know, like I said, I would love to talk to her and you, you, you bet your ass. I'm going to be fasting and praying. and <laughs> I'll be talking to the Lord about it. <laughs> so, um, you know, what is, what state does she live in? We live in Washington. Yeah. Dominic and I live in Washington state and so does she and Jordan lives in Indiana. Yeah. Okay. I'm corn fed. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. All right. I have a uh, an author who 
friend who lives in Washington, who you guys should have on your show too, uh, Boston Born Again. He wrote this book called The Meth Bible, Fire and Ice, The Meth Bible. Please. Oh, right yes. Yeah, let's uh, let's get on that. Yes, that is perfect. <laughs> you guys, okay, you guys are writing it down. Cool. Yeah, we're always looking for suggestions for people to come on and just it's education is key, right? And and the person that's actively going through addiction and doesn't know how to get out might hear your story and and be like, oh, she did it, you know, or or reach out to you personally. I mean, hopefully, you know, and mm-hmm. um and just seek some sort of guidance. Uh you know, we don't have to be the answer, but if we can provide a, the next step, that's, yeah. that's what we're trying to do. Yeah. yeah. Anything, anything. Just And comfort, letting people know they're not alone. You know, it's comforting. That's how we end almost every episode. Yeah. It's like, you're not yeah. alone. Yeah. We love you. Um, yeah. No, we appreciate you being here and telling your story and your vulnerability, like getting into the, the raw, um, I think that the power that you must feel in healing in that, um, like I can only imagine uh, because seeing it is incredible. Yeah, no, truly. truly. It's it's uh, very impressive <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> yeah, this, this is actually the first um, time I've ever talked about my divorce and my marriage and being abusive, like publicly. I haven't like, with anyone else but I knew like this was like a podcast so you, people weren't gonna see my face you know what I mean yeah. and I was like yeah. I'm wanting to talk about it but like I was just like really prayerful like where am I going to open up about this so yeah. <laughs> well thank you for choosing yeah. us that is an yeah. honor honestly well I mean, we've hit on a couple um books I mean you just mentioned one is is there something uh like a book that has really resonated with you other than the bible that um that you would recommend anybody in addiction or anybody around addiction to read? Um, yes, I have one. So the one uh, fire and ice, the meth Bible. Now this is like, if you're in addiction, that's okay. If you're in recovery, it, it can be kind of graphic, but it's called fire and ice, the meth Bible by Boston board again. Um, also, for women like the um you know who um what do you call it like more mo- modest modest women <laughs> because it's, his stuff is pretty wild <laughs> is uh, this book right here um and it is um <clears throat> melissa missy melissa gissy witherspoon i'm sober so now what a journey of hope and healing and she won like a bunch of awards and it is a, um, she is a, like a faith base, but it's not, it's like her story, you know? Yeah. Um, but she's awesome. Uh, sober now is her thing. She would, she's my friend too. You can have her come on too. Um, yeah, that'd be <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I have, I'm in this creator group on Facebook with like all the top recovery content creators. So okay. Like I can just, we're in a group chat, so I can just put your thing and be like, hey, this is an awesome show. Go be on it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. We'd love that. Send them your episode. Yeah. yeah. We would yeah. love to talk to them. I yeah. know. For sure. Yeah. Uh, well, and then we'll have your book too when 
you know, when it comes when out, we'll eventually yeah, yeah. we've, you know, I don't want to say we've pressured anybody, but a couple people that have been on, like, have either written books or are in the process of writing books. John actually yeah. released a TikTok today that um, it is done being edited and hopefully will release December 8th. So literally like a week and some change, uh, someone that was on the podcast will have a book out. And um, yeah, that's really exciting. I'm super excited. Wow. Yeah. I I feel like, yeah, like this is, it's so weird because this, this has just been like told to me like so many times. Like in the last like year, like you haven't written a book. <laughs> what you don't have a book yet? Why? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's extremely yeah. healing. I will tell you that. And then, I mean, you've touched on so many things, but if there's one message that you could leave um, anybody listening with, what would it be? I would say that no matter what you have been through, and no matter how far down you have you think that you have gone you can always change direction and you have support it is people in recovery are so kind and loving like our our community like we just like there's nothing better than for somebody to reach out and say hey I need help hey I'm struggling so like it doesn't matter like you're not too dirty to be clean you're not too far gone to come back you can literally do anything that you want to do in this life you can do anything whatever goal you thought was impossible becomes possible when you turn and come into recovery thank you hell yeah (laughs) i just got a i just got a tattoo on sunday that says it's never too late to rewrite your story ah that's awesome I genuinely feel that way. I, I feel like this life is so short, but at the same time, you have so many opportunities to change your life. Um, and I feel like I just, I don't know. That's just the way I want to live, you know? Like, no matter what happens, I want to be able to be resilient through it all. All right. Well, this has been another episode of the Final Fix podcast. We thank you for listening. We thank you for being alive. We thank you for making it through another day and we love you. If you or anyone you know are struggling with addiction, please reach out to the National Substance Abuse Hotline at 1-800-662-4357 for additional help. And remember, you're not alone.